Hey there, it's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have a super quick, exciting announcement to share with all of you. For the first time on Time for Coffee, we have a free giveaway to offer you. In honor of the season of giving that we're all immersed in right now, I am so excited to tell you that Time for Coffee has 50 global giving gift cards with $25 already loaded on them to give out to Java junkies between now and Christmas. In case you're not familiar with global giving, it's the largest global crowdfunding community connecting nonprofits, donors, and companies in nearly every country around the world. These gift cards will make wonderful stocking stuffers or thank you gifts or secret Santa presents to give your colleagues or your professors or guidance counselors, your mentors, your mailman, you get the idea. Even that cute guy or girl you want to get to know better but don't want to give them something romantic, at least not yet. The way these gift cards work is that you can redeem them by going on to the Global Giving website and picking any of the hundreds of different amazing projects Global Giving is featuring in countries around the world. Then your $25 gift card can be used to support any of these projects. And the gift card is non-denominational with a super festive holiday vibe. And all you have to do to win one of these electronic gift cards is to email me at andrea at time the number four coffee.org. That's Andrea at time the number four coffee.org. Just say, hey, I'd love a global giving gift card. And the first 50 people to hit me up for one of these gift cards will get it in their email box on Monday, December 17th, giving you plenty of time to figure out who you want to give it to. Thanks so much, everybody. Happy holidays and enjoy the show. Hi there. I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so glad you press play. If you're interested in the differences between working in a nonprofit versus a for-profit company, or if you think you may want to build a career in corporate partnerships or maybe corporate management, then this is the episode for you. But before I introduce you to Scott Williams, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter that goes out on Mondays, and it's got an overview of the episodes and the professionals we're going to be dropping that week. And it is really easy to sign up. Just go to the Time for Coffee homepage at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. And you can just scroll down a little bit on the homepage and check out all the other episodes of T4C that we've dropped to date. They're actually organized by career. So just click on the box that most interests you to find the relevant professionals in that career track. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Scott Williams, a senior corporate partnerships and product manager at Global Giving, a nonprofit that connects other nonprofits, donors, and companies in nearly every country on the largest global crowdfunding platform. Scott, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? 
I am. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it is my pleasure. I would love to hear more about the functions of your current job as Senior Corporate Partnerships and Product Manager. That is quite a mouthful. (laughs) It's a long title. It, It is a bit like it sounds. I would say it's probably three parts. So the first kind of main function of my of my job as a partnerships manager. So I work with companies to design and implement all sorts of corporate responsibility programs. So those programs are typically international grant making programs. So grants to nonprofits around the world, employee giving programs. So allowing a company's employees to support charities around the world and potentially have those donations matched by the company. Or what I would refer to, what we refer to as employee engagement opportunities. So Global Giving offers charitable gift cards that an employer can purchase and send to all of their employees. So they could be a thank you at the holiday season or uh, for all of the great work that year, or some companies send them out to all of their new hires when they join the company. I wanted to just clarify for Java Junkies what corporate social responsibility, also known as CSR, is. Sure. So we often say that it's doing well and doing good. So it's how a company can be profitable but also be responsible to their environment, their community, the world around them. And that manifests in lots of ways. It can be volunteering programs. It can be, like I just described, several financial paths. It can be really just supporting community events in the areas where that company is located. Great. Thank you so much, Scott. Now you can continue. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So I would say the second part of my position is helping to cultivate new partnerships. So we have a lot of really amazing corporate partners already, but we, of course, want to work with more. And so I do some travel to, to meet with prospects in person at either their offices or at events. And I do a lot of email outreach, as does a lot of my team. So we try to keep communication lines open with friends and partners that we would like to work with. Um, and in fact, I'll be in the Pacific Northwest next week, meeting with several partners, prospects rather, that we've had conversations ongoing with for a long time. So that's that's kind of the second part of my job. And then the third is the latter half of my very long title is product manager. So when I started with Global Giving about six and a half years ago, I was a, actually a project manager on our product team, which is the team that builds all of the tools and software and website that you see when you go to globalgiving.org. And in the last year, I moved from that team over to our corporate partnerships team. And so now part of my role is really focusing on business-to-business products. So those tools, the systems that companies and their employees need in order to execute these programs that I described a few minutes ago. And so those things might be the grant management system that allows international grants to even happen or creating a console that would allow a company to just send gift cards to their employees on their own without having to go through kind of a middleman, me, in in the process. So I would say that that's probably the the three main parts of, of my role as it currently stands. Great. Thank you so much. I want to pick up on the last part of your responsibilities which relates to what you said as being a project manager. You manage a suite of B2B products that enable 
on your resume. It explains more than 275 companies and their employees to give back to charities in more than 170 countries through time, money, and ideas. So, mm-hmm. Scott, are you identifying the software, the management systems that can provide that B2B connectivity and then showing these companies how to use it or how does that work? Yes, that's a great question. So we at Global Giving have built from scratch almost all of the systems that a user visiting our our platform would use. And so more often than not, my job is actually finding ways to improve existing systems or products that we offer. And so that that happens through listening to the corporate partners that I interact with on a daily basis, really understanding what they need from us and from a tool that they're using, gathering feedback from kind of the larger market and understanding what the trends are in grant making or in uh, charitable gift cards and seeing how we can make it easier for companies and their employees to use these tools and therefore hopefully do more good through them. That is fascinating. So global giving actually develops the software rather than buying it. Is that because you can't find what you need? Well, I think that's partly true, yes. So we have built a lot of the systems that we see. And and that doesn't necessarily mean that you know, all of the underpinnings are also homegrown. Those are off-the-shelf kind of tools that we use to build up the platform on top of it. And I think that in some cases, it is true that we aren't able to find a solution that has already been created to fill our needs. And so I'm going to come back to it again because I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but our grant-making software is pretty unique in the market in that it allows three parties to really have oversight into a single grant. And so because we facilitate grants on behalf of corporate partners, the software has to allow corporate partners and their employees and regional contacts to oversee this grant. It has to allow Global Giving to manage that grant and it has to allow the grantee to upload and provide information on the grant. And so there are very few, if any, software systems that exist on the market that can do those three things. And so that's one example of how we've come to decide in certain cases that we need to build a product rather than purchasing it. But a lot of decision-making goes on before that decision ever uh, happens. And we would prefer to buy something when possible because the maintenance of building something has a very long tail. Scott, I'm going to ask you about your time as an undergrad in a minute, but knowing that your major was international business and marketing and also understanding that you went to graduate school and studied global development strategy and change management, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, did you learn the functions of the job that you currently have on the job or did you learn it in school? I absolutely learned it on the job. I think that undergrad and graduate school gave me skills in project management and kind of thinking about how to run a business, but not at all about the tech side of of my job. And so those skills were picked up through my experiences at Caterpillar and, and then at Micros, where I was really ingrained in a lot more 
technology and using that to serve clients and and partners uh, in those roles. I had to ask you that because that's what I suspected. And I want our listeners to appreciate that a lot of what they will be honing in terms of the expertise that they develop will happen on the job. And not to worry that they don't have those skills if they're projecting forward and looking at you as senior corporate partnerships and product manager and saying, well, I can't do that now, right? It's all about building as you go. Absolutely. I think that experience is just as important, if not more important than a degree. And I think I had a very roundabout way of getting from studying business to actually using it full time in in the job that I have now. And along the way, I did a lot of things that were unlike what I went to school for and picked up skill sets that I now can plug in and use in my current role. Fantastic. So getting back to your current role, Scott, Can you give Java junkies a little insight into how you start off trying to build a new relationship with a corporate partner? How do you go about forging that relationship? You mentioned a few minutes ago that you're going to be heading out west next week in order to meet with some of these prospects. How do you do that? How do you nurture that new relationship to the point where it becomes a full-on partnership with Global Giving. I think it's important to really, to use that word, really build on the relationship. We do hardly any cold calling or cold outreach to our prospects. We really like to have a connection with a company through a board member or through a friend of Global Givings that can introduce us. And so I think a lot of our relationships start in that way. We also have a lot of our nonprofit community that work with companies. And maybe that company has a very specific type of CSR program that they're looking to execute. And so that nonprofit may connect us with that company. So we really like to start the relationship through a friend, through through a connection. And in some cases, I think when we attend conferences, for instance, those conferences are almost always more about networking than they are about uh, the keynote speeches or the luncheons. And so we, in those instances, may reach out to people on the attendee list to see if they want to have coffee or sit next to each other at at one of those luncheons. And so we try to, to see how we can get in front of certain people. But I think it really is about the relationship. So sales are almost never made on the first interaction. And so we really do try to stay in touch with people that we meet in a conference or a, an event setting. We will stay connected via email through anyone that we've been introduced that way. We'll try to have a call if we can just to chat through things a little bit more deeply. And the sales cycle is very long. So we have you know current partners now that we've been talking to and emailing with and meeting at events for a couple of years and they're just now coming around to, to being able to work with us. So I think it's really it really is about establishing a relationship and understanding what they are trying to accomplish and how we might be able to help them do that. So I'm guessing there's a lot of listening involved. A lot, a lot of listening. And I think any good partner will do just that. Scott, for our young listeners, some of whom may still be in college right now, what do you recommend they study if they're interested in getting into the corporate partnership side of the nonprofit world, are there certain must-have skills or competencies? 
I do think that majors are less important than experiences that you can get while in school or in jobs out of school. I think so. I think that experience is definitely key. And like I said, in my own journey, I've picked up a lot of, <laughs> of different skills that I never knew exactly how they would come together, but they've really helped me in my current position. That being said, I do think that having education in business and especially in international business has helped me and other partnerships managers on our team really succeed in this sort of role. It helps you think about finances and how partners might be allocating their own resources to do good in the world, how we might think about on the global giving side about how to charge for those types of services to make sure that we can execute and continue to move towards our mission. And so I think a a business acumen is really valuable in this type of role, but it's not the only thing that matters. So I think for anyone that's still in school, getting involved in campus activities and clubs that are maybe outside of your major just to kind of get more well-rounded in more things than just what you're studying is really important because you never know how those skills are going to manifest themselves in, in a future job. So I usually ask this question later in the interview, but since you brought up extracurriculars, Scott, let me ask you, what clubs or volunteer work or sports or fraternities or fill in the blank outside of hitting the books were you involved in that in hindsight you've come to see were actually really valuable in the professional world? So I will start out by saying that I was really an over-involved student in college. And so my grades probably suffered as a result. But I do think that being as involved as I was has helped me throughout my career. I actually worked three part-time jobs in college, all on campus. And those jobs really opened my mind and showed me opportunities available to me on campus to get involved. And so once I knew about them, then I had a hard time turning them down just as a personal quirk of mine. So I did things like I was a student ambassador. So I would lead campus tours and help be an ambassador for the school and, and try to get you know high schoolers to come. I was part of our international business club, which makes sense. I was part of a marketing fraternity, which makes sense, I suppose. And then I was on a a planning committee of an event, an annual event uh, called Business Week. And so got to interact with a lot of really cool speakers and and such. Um, But I think the one activity that really had a a lasting impact on me came as a result of having been a volunteer for St. Jude Children's Hospital since I was very young. My mom was also very involved with volunteering for them. And she brought me along to a lot of those things. And so my senior year, maybe my the end of my junior year of college, someone from the hospital reached out to see if I would be interested in launching a fundraising program on campus that would get other students involved in raising awareness of childhood cancer and raising funds for research. And so I did. And I recruited a big team. And we ended up raising a lot of money in our first first year on campus to do that. But I think what getting involved in that sort of program really helped me do was do something that wasn't necessarily international business or marketing related and helped me gain this skill set for fundraising and for asking for corporate contributions and for raising awareness on issues. And I had never really thought about how that might might play out down the road. But I think in, in my position now, that experience really has helped me be a lot more comfortable doing this on a much larger scale and for an actual nonprofit 
that I'm employed by now rather than than just as a volunteer. So I think those are the, the things that I was involved in in college, but that one was probably the most impactful for me at the time. So a couple of things, Scott. One, your grades did not hold you back ever. <laughs> you got accepted, obviously, at a wonderful graduate school at Thunderbird. And secondly, I actually think, and I'm curious if you agree, that when we follow our interests the way you did with your extracurriculars, that is the biggest clue to us as to where our hearts lie and where perhaps our professional passions lie. What do you think about that? I think that's spot on. I think that there was probably a reason I decided to get involved in all of those activities, whether I knew it or not at the time. And I think that it allowed me to explore a lot of things that I wouldn't have gotten inside of the classroom. And so, yes, my grades suffered. And yes, I did get accepted to grad school. But it, my grades did certainly prohibit me from, <laughs> from probably some other opportunities along the way. But we won't go into those at the moment. But the most um, important thing, Scott, <laughs> is that you landed in a place where you're incredibly happy right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the end goal has worked out so far. And I think all of those little experiences along the way have helped get me here. So I think those are absolutely the most important things so far. So Scott, you know that in the lead up to doing a Time for Coffee interview, I will ask my guests if there are any topics that they would like to talk about during the interview. One of the suggestions you made was why everyone should have at least one job they hate in their career (laughs) because it gives you perspective on what you value most. What was that job for you and what was the perspective that you got? Probably a harsh phrasing of what I really mean, but I think it is absolutely true. So I had a job at a company called Microsystems and it was a job I actually had for four years and stuck with it. I was traveling up to 90% of the time the first couple of years I worked there and I was doing a lot of technical installs and doing a lot of hardware related things that I didn't know about before I started there, but they trained me on it and I learned a lot along the way. And so the job itself was often very fun and the people I worked with were really great, but the culture and the, the environment was really kind of toxic. And so I think the reason I say that everyone should have one job that they hate is because it really did give me perspective on what was important to me from a job. I left that job and went to grad school because I was by the end, managing a a team of people as a very young person that didn't really know how to lead a team. And I needed to get a skill set that would allow me to do that better. Hopefully, well-run organizations don't do that to employees. They promote people to management positions and then train them to do that properly. But that wasn't the case in my situation. So I wanted to get more real skill set in how to manage people, how to think as a manager. And so that's why I left to go to grad school. But I also think that more than anything, rather than just the skill set, but it really made me focus and remember how important culture was. I think I had just kind of slipped into this state where I was accepting it as the job as what it was. And the culture for what it was and for how it was making me feel every day. But being removed from that at grad school, it made me really think about how that impacted me and how important that was to me to not relive in the future. And so I do think that it is valuable for people to have an experience like that where they may not love everything about their experience, but they can still learn some stuff and take away a better perspective of what is important to them at the end. 
I wouldn't recommend sticking around for four years, maybe. <laughs> put, in your, put in your time and then. Yeah. The only footnote I might add to that, Scott, is that I also think it's good to have worked for a really bad supervisor so that yes. you can learn what not to do when you manage people. It might suck for you when you're in the middle of it, but I actually think I have learned personally what not to do. So let me just pivot now to another wonderful suggestion that you had for questions, Scott, and that was taking jobs that have nothing to do with your degree (laughs) makes you so much more valuable later. Can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, I've hinted at it a bit. Having gotten a degree in international business and marketing and then going straight into a job at Caterpillar where I was basically doing technical support for 40,000 employees around the world and not really fully understanding what I was doing at the time, but being trained to do that. And then moving from there onto micros where I was writing databases and staging hardware and, and doing things that, again, I wasn't skilled at doing, but was being trained to do. None of that had anything to do with what I had studied in school, but it was a really great way to get an education that I then was being paid for rather than the other way around. Picking up those skills along the way, I knew I didn't want to do that forever, but picking up those skills and learning all of those things along the way has really made me, I think, hopefully more valuable in finding jobs I actually want to do. And so when I applied to Global Giving as a project manager position, they were looking for somebody that had that balance, that could do uh, some technical documentation, but also could manage projects with kind of a, a managerial mindset. And so I think that it was a, the first time that I had ever had like a confluence of being able to use my education in the formal sense at school and grad school, but then also applying all of these experiences and, and skills and technical things that I had picked up along the way through five or six years of job experience that had nothing to do with, <laughs> with my education. Scott, as I listen to you talk, it reminds me of a recent conversation I had with somebody, not someone who I was interviewing, but someone who I was talking with about their career. And tell me if this resonates with you. I think that what happens to many of us as professionals, especially as we move between industries, it's almost like you're a small snowball at the top of a hill. And as you move through your career, that snowball is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you're picking up those skills and those experiences. And one day, you're a big, fat snowball with all of these great assets that you didn't plan on having, but simply because you were moving through your life and career, you've collected all this great experience. I think that's a perfect analogy. I love that. I'm going to steal it from you. (laughs) I think that that's absolutely right. And I think the only thing I would add is that you, one, yeah, you you never know what snow is going to pile on in the the process, but I think you never know what job is going to be at the end of that uh, or what, how you might be able to use everything you've collected along the way. I think one thing I struggled with after college was one, you go into college and you're immediately faced with a decision on what you want to study in school to shape the rest of your career. And then you graduate from school and all of a sudden you're supposed to apply this in a position, all of this education into a position that wants you to have a lot more real world experience than you were able to get in college probably. And so how do you get into that ideal job right out of school? And I think for me, the my 
realization was that I wasn't going to be able to do that. And so I might as well go do some other cool stuff that I can learn from. And, and then hopefully down the road, I can get into that ideal position. And what ended up happening, I think for me at least, is that the job, the marketing job that I wanted after college is actually not a job I want at all anymore. And I now know that I really want to work in CSR and, and help companies do good and, and therefore help nonprofits do good. I didn't know that when I was 22 years old. But I think, yeah, that snowball effect has led me to now realize what I think i probably more you know interested in doing now and, and probably going forward for the rest of my career. I think to call it a scam is totally unfair. And I, I don't mean it this way. I just think there's a lot of misinformation and perhaps just bad guidance that's being given to college students that somehow or another their major is going to be is going to basically lock them in for the rest of their lives and it isn't the fact is it's just the jumping off point and it's what you do after you graduate that is going to help you find your big snowball, basically, where you're happy and feeling like you're firing on all pistons. And the journey is meant to happen. It's part of the process. Scott, one of my final questions is you have worked both in the for-profit and the nonprofit world. What would you say were the biggest differences you found between these two worlds as a way of conveying to our young listeners what to expect? That's an interesting question because I I think probably the standard answer to that, especially as someone that now works in a nonprofit and previously worked in a for-profit, is that resources are far more constrained in a nonprofit environment. That's probably true, but I also worked for companies with very constrained budgets and all of that. I think for me, what is probably most different between the two is that both for-profits and nonprofits have missions, organizational missions that they're working towards. But I think, at least in my experiences, and I'm extrapolating here to the nonprofit sector at large, they are far more focused on actually moving towards their mission than companies really are. That doesn't mean that for-profit companies aren't looking to build better software to make communities connect in the cases of places like Facebook or Nextdoor or platforms of that nature. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they are not living their missions at all. But I think that global giving really focuses on our mission. And you'll often hear people talking about in meetings when we're trying to make a decision on something, well, does that really align with our mission? Or how does that help us get towards our mission? And so I think that for me, the biggest difference between my work experiences is is that. And for me, the mission-driven focus of a nonprofit work is a lot more satisfying and actually makes me feel like at the end of a workday that I'm doing work that has purpose and has, a, you know, hopefully a future result that is uh, bigger than the things that I, that I, the emails and the meetings and all of those things that I did today, because keeping that frame, that focus on, on the future is really important. Thank you so much for that, Scott. Now I have two final questions I'm going to ask you quickly, one of which is a question that I ask all time for coffee guests to share a time in your professional life, Scott, when you struggled for whatever reason. We've all had them. How did you persevere? Could you share a story with us about 
a downtime for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it's a relatively recent example, and it actually happened at Global Giving. And in 2016, 2017, we were having a realization of being constrained from a resource perspective. We had hired a lot of people with this idea that we were that we would grow pretty exponentially through hiring people in certain key positions. And some of that came true and, and some of it didn't. And what ended up happening was that as a result, we had to eliminate some positions and lay off a few people. And I knew that there was actually another round of layoffs coming. And when I kind of did the mental math in my head, I realized that my position was likely going to be included in that cut. And this was when I was a project manager on the product team. So the first job I had at Global Giving. And for me, when I realized that, granted, I had no evidence to prove that that was the truth. And no one had actually discussed it with me, but it, it made sense to me. And, it pro- and, and if I was in a leadership position, I would have probably also cut that position. But I think it kind of took me into this place where I was, you know, I had gotten a little bit depressed by it. And I was realizing that I have student loans and I live in Washington, DC, and I just got married. So we're now I'm trying to provide for for two people and or at least contribute my part to two people. And, and so I had a lot of these thoughts going through my mind. And, and as a result, I think my my work suffered. I, you know, was not my best self on a personal level. And fortunately for me, my now boss, Donna, knew that another uh, colleague was actually looking to leave Global Giving and use that as an opportunity to pull me onto her team. And so I think for me, the kind of moral of that story wasn't that there was anything I could do to fix it in the moment, but that doing good work along the way and, and proving that kind of throughout my time at Global Giving made Donna realize that Hey, maybe this guy would be good over on on my team. We can eliminate his position, but I want to pull him over, and that changed everything for me. And I, I'm incredibly happy in this new role, and, and still able to do a little bit of what I was doing before. And and so I think it's important to do good work all the time. But that that really proved it to me in that kind of low point in my career. Thank you so much for sharing that, Scott. Sure. So final time for coffee question. If you could go back to Illinois State University and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I think it's four things. One, I would study abroad for a much longer period of time. I went for a summer. I should have gone for at least a semester. That has become very clear to me now, and I really wish I would have done that. I think I would have told myself to choose just a few extracurriculars and not all of them, and not just so that I could improve my GPA, which is my fourth or my third piece of advice to myself, but also so that I could have more time to spend with friends in college and, and have a little bit more fun. So that's my fourth one. Spend more time with with friends and maybe drink a beer on a school night uh, <laughs> rather than, than being preoccupied with all the extracurriculars. Scott, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I want to wish you and your husband a wonderful holiday season. I hope Global Giving has a banner year. I know this is the fundraising 
time of year. This is the especially important fundraising time of year, the incredible work that you and your colleagues are doing at Global Giving to facilitate the work of so many nonprofits around the world is invaluable. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your lessons learned. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hopefully it's useful advice for some of your listeners. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.